Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan, for reading our sermon text. As you heard, it's in uh, Ephesians 6, and we come to the second to last Sunday in Ephesians, and uh, very excited to dig into the, the second portion here of thinking about what is the armor of God. Children who are still here, I brought this. Someone, uh, a couple folks from the church gave this to me a few years ago, and I'm thankful for it. It's, it's a, a fun visual in my office that's highlighting the, the armor of God and the six different pieces of the armor of God. If you want to take a look at it when we're done, you can, but I'd encourage you children, if you like to draw, I would love to see your pictures today of what does the armor of God look like? These six pieces that we talked about three last week and we can talk about three more this week, but so much visual here that, that God gives us to think about what does this all look like. If you remember last week, we, uh, as we were thinking about the, the first part of the armor of God, we saw that there was one word repeated four times. Anybody remember what that word is? It's the word stand. Anybody remember that word is? Stand. Four times, stand, 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 therefore, be able to withstand in the evil day. And as we think about this call that Ephesians is ending with here, this call to battle, this call to be armed for battle, it is a call to stand, to be able to withstand in the evil day, even when the battle is hot, when things are difficult. We all know it's easy on a quiet Sunday morning. Yeah, okay, got it. Yep, stand. Good. All right. And then stuff starts coming. Things get harder and it gets difficult. Thinking about that, I was reminded of a couple years ago when uh, some, I was part of a group of young men that was going to play paintball. And we were out playing paintball. If you've never played paintball before, it's kind of like running around uh, as army guys, you've got these guns that do shoot real paintballs, and when you get hit with these paintballs, they do hurt. Uh, not enough such that you really get hurt, but there is pain, and so you're trying to avoid being hit with these paintballs. Well, as we were strategizing, making our plan 
for the assault that was to ensue, uh, you know, we were gathered up, and I think Mr. Gamble was there. He was making plans, and okay, we're going to do this, and we're going to charge, and we're going to go. And all right, we got it, we got it. We're going to do this, we're going to go. This is going to be great. We got out there, and we got behind our little barricades, our little walls, and the, the person in charge said, game on. Well, suddenly, paintballs started flying, and they were whizzing by all of these young men. And suddenly, these brave, ready-to-charge soldiers who were ready to go were ducking and dodging and, retreat, retreat, get back, get back, get back. And they were heading for the hills. So in our walk of following Jesus, all of us know what it is to be full of enthusiasm and full of excitement, only to find ourselves in the pits of despair, facing, as, as John said, wave after wave, wind after wind, that just uh, threatens to undo us as we sing. Well, this whole book has been talking about our walk with Jesus but now it ends calling us to stand in Jesus. And we hope that all of you are walking with Jesus, a walk that starts, we hope, for some, down in sermons for saplings or around your kitchen table. But think about that picture of, of saplings. A sapling is a little tree. And for a little tree to grow, has to get rooted and grounded. And as it grows, it grows up into an oak of righteousness. So you think about Jubilee and what is this place? It is a place, we pray, where seed takes root, bears fruit, grows up into a sapling, and the sapling grows up into an oak of righteousness. But that oak must be rooted and grounded in the truth of what God is. Otherwise, the winds come, gusts come, tornadoes come, and the tree is toppled. And so God has spoken to us in Ephesians, verse after verse, with the truth of who He is and who we are and what it means to walk in this world so that our roots might grow deep, individually and together. For each week, our God entrusts us with new life and new challenges. As I look around this room, I just think of the, the challenges that so many of you have faced and are facing. And each week, as we think about what it means to be armed for battle, we start with verse 10. Remember how verse 10 started? Finally, what are the next words? Be strong in the Lord. And we said that means to be strengthened in Jesus. So when we think about what it is to be armed for battle, we are reminded it always starts with King Jesus. We're never looking to our own strength. We're always looking to his strength. We are reminded that he does not call the mighty valiant warriors. He calls those who are weak, those who are not mighty, not wise, not noble, not rich by the world's standards. We start with Jesus because as the Bible is so good at showing every person gets knocked back. Every person stumbles like that. Son, in Luke 15, we resonate with that person, don't, don't we? We start, oh God, I'm going to follow you every day, and then suddenly we find ourselves making a mess of it. No matter how good our intentions are, we find ourselves like Abraham or David or whoever failing in our own strength. 
brother, sister, you might believe you can fly. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you jump off that garage, it's not going to be the sky you're touching, right? It's going to be the ground. On our own, we can't fly. On our own, we can't win. But finally, we are strengthened in Jesus. We are not the tip of the spear. We are not the head of the army. He is, and we must be reminded. As we think about what it is to put on the armor of God, it is the armor of God for a soldier who is following a captain. Amen? Who is following a king. And that king is victorious. His victory is absolutely sure. And he is leading. So we sing, the battle belongs to the Lord. The fight is real. The struggle is, is, is fierce. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Just be reminded of who Jesus is. We we said last week that that when we hear of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it is all an echo of Isaiah and the language of how Jesus, the servant to come, is clothed in his armor. If you remember that from last week. But think about how Jesus is portrayed throughout Scripture. You know the Gospels in their portrayal of Jesus are really the exception to the rest of Scripture. How is Jesus portrayed in the Gospels? Born a baby, grows up a child, suffers as a servant, doesn't fight with his words, doesn't certainly fight or lead an army. That's how we see Jesus in the Gospels, which is absolutely right and absolutely wonderful. But it's not how Jesus is presented in the rest of Scripture, is it? For in the rest of Scripture, we see one who is mighty. We see one who is conquering. We see one who is victorious. And we know that at the cross, Jesus ultimately won the victory. But think about glimpses that, of, of Jesus that we see scattered throughout Scripture that make sense of this language here of battle and, and armor and, and, and fighting. Remember Joshua 5? You know if you've been around here long enough, I love Joshua 5. Right? Joshua, called by God to replace Moses, lead the people into the promised land. They are getting ready to go march on a great walled city, Jericho. And their army consists of what? Consists of a group much like we have here. Boys and girls, men and women, dads, grandmas, not trained soldiers, not an elite fighting unit, not the Navy SEALs, And as Joshua's trying to figure out, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Someone appears to him. Do you remember that? In Joshua 5, Joshua asks him, are you for us or are you for them? As he comes to this man, it says, who stands with a drawn sword in his hand. And he said, no, now I have come. And Joshua's eyes are open. He gets who it is. And he falls on his face, knowing that the ground on which he stands before his risen Lord is holy, and he worships. It's not the appearance of an angel. It's the appearance of God incarnate, and he stands with his drawn sword, ready to lead into battle. And Jericho is taken. And who gets the glory? Not the ragtag 5th grade battalion, right? That's clear. That's how God works. God works through the week, so he gets the glory. You advance the story a little bit, and you go to 2 Chronicles 21. And there, in response to David's sin, God gives David three choices of punishment that they can receive. 
and, and, and David is broken over his sin. He's made a mess of things, and, and he chooses three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence in the land, with the angel of the Lord. As you've heard before here, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Christ. We pick up the story, First Chronicles 21. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of Yahweh, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Second, First Chronicles 21, 14. So Yahweh sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, Yahweh saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of Yahweh was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And in his hand, a drawn sword stretched over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces and worshipped. Friends, when we think about the battle, the battle is real. But we are not alone. We have the one who will be victorious, who has won the battle already, whose victory is sure, and he calls us and says, finally, be strengthened in me and in the strength of my might. Amen? And when we forget that, when we forget that the battle is the Lord's, we get overwhelmed. Jesus, the winds and waves, they're going to destroy us. That's us, right? He's sleeping. He's got this. He says, peace be still, whenever he needs to. You say, is that just the Old Testament? Well, we see it in the New Testament as well, in Revelation, and we will get to that in a little bit. The pictures there are tremendous, and they are gripping, seeing again King Jesus in his glory, ready to rule, ready to lead his victorious procession. But we got to get to Ephesians because it's good. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, our, our fight is not people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, verse 14 now, the, the first parts of the armor from last week. Stand therefore, having fastened on piece one, which is what? The belt of truth. We walk in truth. God's word is truth. We walk in truth. We live in truth. That's so good to know in a world that's so confused and looking for what is true. Put on the belt of truth and having put on the number two, breastplate of righteousness. Number two, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I hope you're thinking about this at your house, thinking about this, this great imagery here. And we talked about what that righteousness is last week. And third, last week, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, 
given by the gospel of peace as shoes for your feet. We thought about what that was last week. Now, one more thought before we get into these second three pieces of armor. All of those echo the captain of the Lord's army, and and, and we ask, okay, pastor, I I get that there's a battle. I get that, that, that it's heated. I get that there's armor for us. But if we, if we truly have this mighty conquering king, what are we doing? Why the struggle? Why is this so hard? Why is life so hard? So many tears, so much pain. Why the fight? Why are we in this fight? Can't we just push fast forward and get to the end? Can't Jesus just call us up to heaven? Why must life be so hard? Why must there be so great a pain? Why must we fail again and again and again? Well, this is where understanding what is truly going on is so essential. You ever had someone teach you a new game and you start getting lost in the rules of the new game and then you ask, just tell me this, how do you win? Can you just cut to the chase? Jubilee, how do you win the Christian life? What is victory? When I think battle, we think defeat, we think victory, right? You know that victory occurs just a handful of times in the New Testament, but each time it does, it helps us understand what is this fight that we're fighting. Matthew 12, Jesus just healed someone. And he says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. God says he doesn't destroy the weak among us. He keeps them until he brings the victory. First Corinthians, we read of victory. There it's talking about death. And it says death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's accomplishing a victory even now through your pain, through your trials. One more place that helps us see this a little more clearly. For everyone, 1 John 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now get this. This is the key one. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. And here it is crystallized in one thought. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. What is the fight that God's called us to to fight? It's the fight of faith. It's believing that an invisible God that we cannot see is greater than all the things we can see in the world that would call us to follow. Why? Because our God is greater. Our God wins. Our God is glorious. Our God is the creator. Our God speaks truth. 
Our God does not lie. Our God is holy. Our God is worthy of worship. Our God jubilee reigns. Amen? And he calls us, the imperfect, weak strugglers, and he says, follow me, believe in me. He doesn't reject the sinner. He says, no, I came for the sinner. I'm the friend of sinners. This one who is mighty, victorious with his drawn sword, put the sword away and gathered up and said, I want to gather for myself a people. But there are people that are going to walk through a war, and the war will be won. Not with nuclear bombs. Not with political campaigns. What is our victory? Our faith that will overcome the world. So, Jubilee, you may not feel like a mighty warrior, but God has called you to be a warrior who lives, who fights, who overcomes, who endures, who will finish the race, kept, strengthened, encouraged by our great God. Amen? Now, this armor. Third piece of the armor. 16. What is the victory? Our faith. In all circumstances. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The good and the bad. In all circumstances. Take up number four piece of armor. Take up the shield of faith. What is the victory that's overcome the world? Our faith. What are, what are we to take up as our defense? We are to take up the shield of faith. Now, I like this little shield. It's cool. It's neat. The only problem is it's the wrong shape and size. This is not the kind of shield that he's talking about. Roman soldiers had two kinds of shields. They had one little dinky shield they hold, held in one arm and fought with the other. They had another shield. The kind of shield that he is describing here is a large shield. You may have seen it's like a large rectangle you get behind. It is a large shield that phalanxes fought with. And you get behind this shield and nothing is hitting you. And when Roman soldiers, members of the Roman legion, fought, they would take these shields before a fight and they would soak them in water. Why? To defend against arrows. What kind of arrows? Arrows dipped in pitch, lit on fire, and shot, which could do a lot of damage unless you brought this great big shield in front of you and not just one of you brought up the shield, but an army of you had these shields and you put them together and these shields would extinguish every flaming dart shot at them. What a picture that we are given here. In all circumstances, believer, what are we to do? Take up the shield of faith. Why? With which you can extinguish every flaming dart of the evil one. So we've got a belt of truth, we've got a breastplate of righteousness, we've got shoes for, is this shield of faith? What does this mean? Oh, think about this for a moment with me. This is so significant. How are we putting on this armor? Day by day, we're reminding ourselves of what's true. We're praying through each one of these things. We're saying, God, help me walk in truth. But what does it look like to, 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 to put on the shield? Saying, God, help me 
to believe what is true. Help me to walk by faith in what is true. Why? The enemy of our soul wants to destroy us. How does he seek to destroy us? With flaming darts. What are those flaming darts? Are you really God's daughter? Is Jesus really worth it? Is this book really to be trusted? Is it really worth it to live as a Christian? What is this thing of sacrifice and service? You need to get yours. You're the man. You deserve a break. You go do you. What's the big deal? Have a little fun? My little secret sin stash? I deserve it. Bang, bang, bang. The archer is firing these flaming darts at us. And Jubilee, remember, it's at us. Today, it's one person. Tomorrow, it's another person. But together, we stand with these shields in all circumstances. The hard, the good, the easy, the hard. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish what? All the flaming darts of the evil one. How are we going to stand? We stand by lifting up this shield of faith. This is our victory, our faith. And this shield is standing in what is true, standing in what we believe, standing in what we trust in, standing in what we hope in. And he's going to say this word all six times in this section, but twice we see it in this verse. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that you can extinguish. How many of the fiery darts of the enemy? All of them. Every single one. Because God has called us to be victorious. But it is easy and the fight is real. Every circumstances take up the shield of faith. Arrows fly, but they will not penetrate as we lift up that shield of faith. So we fight. We fight together. We fight against these fiery darts, this enemy who would seek to destroy us, who would seek to divide us. Remember how the second half of Ephesians began when Ephesians 3 turned into Ephesians 4 Jubilee? When he said, walk believers in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. So Jubilee, not only do we fight against the, the darts fired here, we also fight for this right here. And in our homes, in our marriages, with our roommates, fighting for the unity of the Spirit, because we know these arrows are coming in. He wants to unsettle us. He wants to undo us. And he wants to divide us and cause all kinds of friction and faction and fighting and bitterness and hardship. And we say, no, 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 no. We don't want gaps. We want to stand together. So how might I apply this, you ask? I want you to think about this question. Is there someone around you who needs to be reminded of what is true? As I was praying through this, preparing this, the Lord brought someone to mind, and I thought, good night. They're going through this hard situation. They are believing lies. 
I haven't been involved. I should be. I want to go and just remind a person that I love about what's true. And I wonder if God has someone in your life that just be, needs to be reminded of what's true. Maybe they're like a, a, a soldier wounded on the battlefield and you're going to come with your shield and put it right in front of them, protect them, and remind them of what is true. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are absolutely in a battle. And so maybe the Lord has someone that you can encourage, you can remind, and you can put your shield in front of. Jubilee, be strengthened in the Lord. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Number five, and put on the helmet of salvation. Put on, take up the helmet of salvation. All right, what is, what is the helmet of salvation? Well, very briefly, 1 Thessalonians says that since we belong today, since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on a breastplate. And then he says, and put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. So I want you to think about, when we think about this helmet, think about two words. Think about the word hope and the word salvation. Anybody else love the word salvation? What does salvation mean? It means to be saved, to be rescued, to have a certain promise. And, and, and the fifth piece of the armor is for us day by day to remind ourselves what is true, which is we have a helmet. What's the helmet? The helmet of what? Salvation. Let's say that one more time because we've got to be reminded. We put on the helmet, the helmet of? And we're reminded, God wants us to be reminded day by day. We have salvation. Are, are, are you kidding me? I die, death defeated, raise again, live with King Jesus forever, no tears, no pain, no disease. Are you kidding me? Like, we have salvation. Like, remind your neighbor this afternoon, we have salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. And this helmet of salvation moves us then to hope. And hope changes everything. Right? Because as we're fighting, as we're in the battle, as things are hard, we're reminded, oh my goodness, this is true. This is what's to come. This is glorious. And this is good news. Amen? Is there anything more important that you want for your children than this word? Salvation? Anything you want more for those you love the most than this word? Salvation? And for those who are in Christ, as life is hard, we need to be reminded we have salvation. And so we put it on and we glory in it and we are encouraged by it, reminded of it. Think about Paul. Paul was a big hoper. Paul loved to hope, didn't he? He had lots of language of hope. What good did that do, Paul? It did a lot. Because there are very few people in history that have ever suffered more than the Apostle Paul, right? God called him through shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and imprisonments and all of these things. And what does he say? 
He says, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us the eternal weight of glory. Were his sufferings small? No. Just in comparison to what? What he was hoping for, what is to come, what is glorious, and what was all of that? It was the reality of salvation. So be reminded, Jubilee, that hope is essential for the battle. Amen? We put on the helmet of salvation in which we hope. And salvation is not for us just to be reminded of. It's also for us to offer out, to speak the good news, the gospel of peace. And so we speak it to others. And we know that we have been called to be his witnesses, speaking good tidings, good news of salvation, publishing his news of peace that God came for sinners. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the life of Desmond Doss. Some of you know of the life of Desmond Doss from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Desmond Doss was a uh, soldier that didn't want to fight because of his Christian faith in World War II, so he enlisted instead as a medic, and he was credited in one battle on the island of Okinawa with saving the lives of 75 soldiers. If you don't know this story, you really need to. It's remarkable. In the movie, he is portrayed as this medic who after the heat of battle is over and after the rest of his squadron has retreated, continues to go into the the scarred wreckage of the battlefield and grab one wounded soldier and bring him back to be lowered down to safety. And then he goes and gets another one. And then he goes and gets another one. And his prayer, in his weariness, he said, I was praying the whole time and I just kept praying, Lord, help me get one more. Das was a disciple of Christ who felt a call on his life to save lives in the midst of this world war. He knew he couldn't win the war by himself, but he could at least seek to save one life at a time. And God answered that prayer 75 times in one night. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Well, C.S. Lewis said, this world in which we live is any enemy-occupied territory. So as we work, as we eat, as we sleep, we are like Desmond Doss in this battlefield. And around us are those who we can ask God, Lord, give me one more, one more disciple, one more person to minister to, one more person to speak of your salvation. We can ask, is it worth it? Well, toward the end of World War II, President Harry Truman awarded Desmond Doss the Medal of Honor, the highest award given to a combat veteran for risking his life these 75 times. And Jubilee, that's an amazing award. But consider what it will be to stand before King Jesus and have him give you his well done for a life lived 
in the midst of this battle with all of your scars, all of our failures, all of our struggles, I think when that day comes, we will all say, oh, it is so worth it. Amen? One more word about this thing, hope. And then we get to the last thing very briefly. Hope also does one more thing. It reminds us to take the big view. That is, we need to daily prioritize what must be prioritized. And we need to long-term schedule ourselves wisely. Hope means we say no to things. Hope means we choose wisely things. Hope means we take vacations. Hope means we don't seek significance by working too much. And yet hope also reminds us that every kind of, every different kind of work we do has great dignity, great worth, and God is at work through our lives to bring salvation and encouragement to others. Not a big distinction between clergy and laity. That No, all ministers of Jesus, all called to our little corner of the battlefield. Amen? All right. Turn your eyes one more time to Ephesians and see the end of verse 17. And after we take the helmet of salvation, the last piece of the armor, let's read this together, second half of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. All right. Everything else is armor. Belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet. Now we've got our one weapon. And what is the weapon? The weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, friends, think about the Word of God. Think about the sword of the Spirit. Think about this thing right here that God has given us. This living, true, authoritative Word of God in a world where there's so many opinions and so much noise. The sword of the Spirit comes and it cuts through. I told you we'd get back to Revelation. So I've got to go back there as we think about this imagery of the sword of the Spirit. And this time I want you to turn with me to this. Pastor Dan reminded me of this text a couple of weeks ago, and I've just been thinking about it so good. So you can keep your finger in, in Ephesians, but go to the Revelation chapter 19. And I told you, there, there's more pictures of our ruling, reigning king than, than just the Old Testament. There's also a lot in Revelation here where King Jesus in his full glory is seen, and they are tremendous. Like when, when you get weary and think, is it really worth it to be in this fight? You just need to be reminded of King Jesus riding in victory, ready to finish the battle and be mightily encouraged. All right, Revelation 19, verse 11. Get this. This is so good. Love this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Any questions about who's on the horse? Talking about King Jesus and His glory, right? And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. Wait, what, what happened to cuddly Jesus? Bedtime Jesus. Oh, Jesus is meek and mild. He's merciful. He's also mighty and victorious 
ready to destroy every one of his enemies. He's all of these at the same time. We need a bigger vision of Jesus. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes what? A sharp sword. A sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is tattooed, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know about this, Jesus? This is one bad dude. In fact... He's the baddest of the bad, isn't he? He's the meanest of the mean, the mightiest of the mighty. There's no one like him. By the way, chapter doesn't end there. Just to make sure you get the full picture of what this Jesus is like, read on. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who is in its presence and has done signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Verse 21, And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And you say, oh my, Pastor, that's graphic. Yes, it is. I'm here to remind you that Jesus came in his first coming, publishing peace. Come unto me, all who are weary, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe on me and be saved. That's his first coming, not his second coming. First coming, he came as a servant with a message of mercy. Guess what? We live in a time of mercy right now. Come to Jesus if you've never bowed, repented, believed on him today. Do so today and be saved. Receive salvation. But for all those who say no, 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 who stand in rebellion, every rebel will be destroyed. Everyone. That's what he says. So when you think about what team do I want to be on? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to be on the team with King Jesus, grueling and reigning, victorious forever and ever and ever. And his kingdom will know no end. Amen? When you hear at Christmas time the Messiah and they sing, and he shall reign forever and ever, and everybody stands up, you know why they stand up? Because it's awesome and it's true and it's glorious. Even if you don't like classical music, it's just amazing. Because it's true. The truth is amazing.
All right. A couple more places we see snapshots of Jesus in Revelation, then we finish in Ephesians. Almost done. Finally, Pastor Lewis. Flip from Revelation 19 to Revelation 1. Just see another glimpse of Jesus. Just to complete the picture of this one. Revelation 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice of the one that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Try to draw this if you want a challenge. He was clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth, take a guess what comes out, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You heard that anywhere before? When Jesus is seen in his glory, we fall on our face before him, and from his mouth comes this sharp two-edged sword, which is referenced again and again and again. Last question, Jesus has a sword. What about us? Well, put on the whole armor of God, which includes the sword. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We, Jubilee, have this sword. Ultimately, King Jesus will rule and reign with His sword, but right now, we have a sword. And the enemy of our soul would love for us to do one thing with it. What is that? Neglect it. Let it accumulate dust. Leave it outside to rust. And instead, Jubilee, we must together spur one another on to say, how's your sword training? How are your sword drills? Are you learning to be an approved workman who accurately handles the Word of God Are we reminding one ourselves, this is not a toy, this is authoritative, this is true, this cuts through all the clutter of our day, all the questions that people are wrestling with. Are there more than two genders? Are there all these questions? The Word of God comes and it speaks and it speaks truth. Amen? And the weapon that we fight with in this battle is the Word of God. We don't just fight alone, we fight together. So down in sermons for saplings, they're creating music by which those little ones are learning the Word of God. At home, as we walk along the road, as we lie down, the Word of God, I hope, is pouring out of our hearts. Say, what do I do with this with my friends? Get together, go to Currens and read the Word and talk about it. All of us can be opening the Word of God with our friends, our relatives, our neighbors. For the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? Years ago, I was reading this, and I thought, man, this was so helpful to me because I, I was, yeah, working through some things this week, some discouragement on some different things, and I, I read this, and I just thought, man, this is so good. Years ago, a guy named John Gerstner spoke. This is the finally, finally. 
about the language of the battlefield, all the, the battles of the Bible, battles of Satan against God and Adam against Satan and, and, and Christ dying but actually winning. And then the last battle he talked about was the battle of Satan against a man, namely Peter, who was joined to the God-man, where it looked like Satan was going to win, but he actually was defeated. And I thought this quote is so helpful because so often we find ourselves like Peter. Here's the quote. In other words, Jesus told Peter, Peter, you are weak in yourself. Left to your own devices, you will certainly fall. Said Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail, for when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus was saying, but I am for you. I am on your side. And since you are united to me by saving faith, I have prayed for you. And because of my prayer, you will not be destroyed, but instead you will be strengthened. You will fall, but you will not fall away. You will be turned aside, but you will then be turned back. And when you are turned back, you will become a pillar of strength for your brothers. Gerstner pointed out that there's a hymn we sometimes sing that goes, Lord, we are able. That was written by Peter. Peter said, Lord, I am able. But when he was tempted by Satan and he fell, Peter discovered what we know, which is, Lord, we are not able. He learned that, the, that only as he was united to Jesus Christ could he stand his ground and be victorious. Gerstner added, That man, in all his pristine glory, made in the spotless image of God with holiness, righteousness, and knowledge, was able to be brought to ruin by satanic temptation, proved that we never of ourselves are able not to sin. But no matter how weak our faith, how meager our discipleship, how much we shame the name of Christ and have so often to repent and turn home again, no matter how Often we fail because we are united to Christ with a love which will not let us go. Satan, with all his craft and power, cannot stand against us, and we can conquer him. Even in our best condition, we cannot meet Satan, but in our weakened and debilitated state, sinning far more than we live virtuously, we are able to conquer him because Christ has given us the victory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, so inadequate am I to preach this text, and yet what a glorious word you have given us from Ephesians 6. And we pray that as we recognize that we individually and collectively are in a battle, we grant that you would grant us to daily be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Grant that we would put on each piece of this armor by faith, knowing that you will win the victory. We pray for the Tom Foos right now in Cameroon. Father, would you win the victory, even as they face hard things? And for each person here who is enduring hard things, would you win the victory, even as we walk through pain? We pray all this in Jesus', Jesus mighty, powerful name. Amen. Go in God's peace. You are dismissed.